Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trab. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of creating the perfect magic system again. Hey, Rocky, watch you pull a rabbit from the hat. Again? <laughs> this time for sure. <laughs> I'll shove you in the hat. <laughs> Ooh, wrong hat. We are continuing our, um, uh, our series on creating the perfect magic system. And uh, we last we have a list of questions that we're working our way through, uh, and uh, we are going to continue that this time. But before we do that, we wanted to go back to a question, uh, one of the earlier questions, because we've actually had some comments on it. Uh, okay. We had a comment from a uh, Mr. Eric Sheffer, magic points and whether there should be any or not. He said that if you're not in a combat situation then if you can take all the time you need in order to cast a spell, it shouldn't cost you any points. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Basically, doing it as a ritual where you have the time to, yeah. And really, it, you know, from the way he put it, you don't, in most cases, you don't, shouldn't even need to make a, a role for success because you're just, you know, doing it. Because people who are competent in what they do really don't have to, you know, they don't fail when they do it. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you're, I would, if you're looking at levels, I would say someone, a first level person, yeah, you got to roll for it. Fifth level person, eh, not so much. I think it's like what we're talking about the take 20. It's that if you, you know, if you were, uh, it's like trying to roll under a 20 on a 20 side die. Okay. Or get a 20 on a 20 side die when you can take 20. You're always going to get 20 if you do that. And you you're always going to be successful. But Bruce, that also means you take 20 times the amount normally to do what it is that you do. It's as if you took all that time. A 20 is going to pop up eventually. That's what take 20 means. So if it takes you one round to do something and you take 20, it's going to take you 20 rounds, which 120 seconds, two minutes. That's the point. The point is, is that in combat, you know, seconds are life and death. Yeah. But if you're not in a combat situation, then you do things in a different speed uh, with carefulness and with precision sure. and lack of stress. And it makes a huge difference as to whether or not you successfully do it. So his suggestion was that, you know, when you talk about things like magic points and stuff, then really it's only a question of what happens in a combat situation or a high stress situation where, you know, it would be um, something that, you know, you would need, it, it would matter, you know, it would be that kind of thing. And the rest of the time, you don't even have to worry about it. It's, it kind of falls along with the option where it said that, you know, you, you try to, you have magic points, but if you don't have the magic points, you get them from somewhere, you know, even if it costs you, well, this is kind of like a corollary to that saying is, is that if you have plenty of time, you can easily amass the magic points you need in order to complete, you know, what you're trying to do. Funny because about ritual magic, there are, I've found in, for, for Pathfinder, and you can use them for any OGO game. It's from a PDF by Rogue Genius Games called Anachronistic Adventures. And basically the pretense is modern day or even pulp era adventurers thrown back into a Pathfinder setting. And they've got a system for doing ritual magic. And it involves using spellcraft and use magic device rolls. So there is a skill roll or two that you got to make and time and you got to spend the components 
But I found those rules, and when we talked about rituals the last time, I forgot to bring that up. Um, right. But if, this if basically that, means that everything can be treated like a ritual in that regard. So <clears throat> if you want to cast a fireball, instead of it taking one action to cast, it may take you 20 actions to cast, but then the fireball goes off. If you want to do a disintegrate, it's the same sort of thing. So, you know, given enough time, if you have the experience, the, the training, the knowledge, the spells, what, however that they came from, the, however, you, well, however you got them, if you need to disintegrate that wall, well, if you have enough time to prepare for it, that wall's coming down. Well, yeah, but, I mean, usually for rituals, you're not going to use them really for offensive spells unless it's for, like, okay, we can sit here, and then if we do the ritual, take down the wall. Most combat spells you're not going to do in a ritual form. That's a game balance type decision, really. There's nothing that make you know, there's no reason why one type of spell could be a ritual and another type of spell cannot be a ritual. Well, yeah, I I know. As far as a combat spell, the only way you're going to do an offensive spell really is if, like, okay, we need to bust down this wall. We have nothing going on. Fine. Do the ritual for, you know, like an hour or whatever. Do your mumbling and draw your circles and then fire the blast. Usually for rituals, I see it like, okay, we need to identify this magic item or we need to heal this person or we need to divine some secret from, you know, a higher plane or whatever. I would see more of those, I guess support spells would be the term, would be more for ritualistic magic, where you need to identify what the properties of this sword is or whatever. And having run a, a, a game using the ritual magic, um, or actually using the ritual and ritual magic rules from both uh, GURPS, Deluxe, and uh, and their horror um, um, supplement, uh, with them, they pretty much said if the spell is instantaneous, yeah, ritual does rich. You really can't use it. It's it's really meant for things that actually take time to cast. It will take longer. It also may involve you know, with them. They break the. They, it's called a dramatic task. Yeah, but John, who's they? What makes their decision uh, uh, the right decision? Well, that's true. I mean, uh, the benefits of. Ritual magic through through the horse element is that you can make something last a lot longer. You know, instead of lasting one minute, uh, it might actually last an hour or even a day, and that's a major improvement. Technically, there are some uh, typical OGL spells that you would find either in the player's handbook or in the Pathfinder Court Rulebook. Uh, Pixie wasn't legend lore. It takes like te- up at least ten minutes to cast. It takes a minimum of ten minutes, and that's if. That's if you have everything on hand. It can take. Oh, I think an hour. Hang on. Yeah, well, in I mean, first yeah, edition, I, there were uh, there were ninth level spells that took hours to cast. Like one d six times ten minutes was it, Josie? I, it's over here. I'm, we we don't need to look it up. Look it up. I mean, we're just parking it. Something. Yeah, but there are regular spells in the OGL books that they'll say casting time ten minutes, like resurrection. That's definitely a ritual. There's no firing that off. You have to go through the whole casting time with the components, and then your buddy gets resurrected. So I would say if if the spell you're trying to cast, either ritually or whatever, if it if it's a plot point, if it affects a plot point or affects the plot, you're going to roll for it. I don't care. You're going to roll for it. Yeah, that's why I put the rules in anachronistic adventures, because they actually have pathfinder ogl rules for doing a ritual as opposed to the typical spells you find in the core rule book yeah and if it's doesn't really affect the plot it's just a good thing eh, eh, you do it yeah, you can just pardon the pun use do some hand waving and just say it's done well that's a very slippery slope guys if you have the thing on hand it's 24 times 10 minutes if you only have detailed information it's 1d10 days to cast and it gets worse or 2d6 weeks if you want only rumors. So yeah, there are ritual-based spells already, but it's due to the nature of the spell, not the nature of how all magic would be cast. Savage Worlds, 
they actually have modifiers so that it gets more difficult the more things you're trying to add on to the spell to the ritual. So if you're trying to make it last longer and cost less, it can be upwards as a minus six to cast that spell. What if it can also be used as a floor wax or a dessert topping? Is there an additional charge for that? Probably. <laughs> and still feeling unclean with that combination. Anyways. <laughs> But yeah, the thing is, you know, the thing is, I I kind of agree. I mean, if it if you're using a spell point system or a memorized spell system, like the like it is in the say D twenty, yeah, if you got all town, if you got town of world to, to to cast a spell and take your time, you, you're probably doing it with the book open in front of you, and you're doing you're following all the instructions, and you're you know doing everything properly. Yeah, take twenty and don't worry about you know using up a slot. In your in your uh, memorized or using a spell point system, which I've adopted uh, 3.5's Unearthed Arcana spell point system, I'm going away from the Vancey and Magic in all of my campaigns. And if you, it's working quite, it's well. working quite well so far. Yeah, Josie likes it. And my other players so far seem to be liking it. But if and I, this would be GMP out for me. Let's say you have oh a spell that costs, it's a third level spell, so it'd be seven points. Let's say you want to make it a ritual. I would say half the spell cost because you're taking all the time and putting all this extra preparation to cast a spell. Give them a little a little wiggle room. Half the spell points down to three or something. Just, you know, yeah. because you're putting all this extra prep. Yeah. Part of the reason why I actually use the uh, difficulty system, the optional diff spells are more difficult to cast rather than they cost spell points. Because I had too many times and played too many Savage Worlds games where you run out of spell points and you won't gain spell points back for, for the next six hours. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. That's a big problem with it. But the, the, the problem with not using any kind of spell point system in savage worlds is that then all of a sudden they're casting spells constantly. Uh, yeah, but the the but the the difficulty system does does make it harder. In fact, watching people use it because I run these things, I run it this way in all my games. And the magic users, yeah, they're spending bennies left, they're spending bennies to re-roll left and right because they keep blowing the roll. You know, because it you know because they're trying to cast something that has like a minus four on their casting, and they're rolling, a, they're just rolling a d eight. You know, that's, you know, that's, it really reduces the chance of them actually casting it. So, yes, you're trying to cast it all the time, but they're, they're, they're blowing the rolls because. Yeah, if, if it's a, if it's a, um, a D, a D8 and they're taking a minus four, yeah, that means at best they're going to have a 50% chance of pulling that off. It means they got to roll an eight or better. To, to cast it. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. And you've taken a minus four hit. Oh, forget it. Then they have to use the Benny. Yeah. Yeah. They have, or hope they roll an eight and it explodes. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a, or hope they roll a six or a six and then wild well die. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You also have that. All right. Well, let's uh, move on. Uh, I wanted to put that out there because that was a suggestion for one of our listeners. And okay. uh, we, we do appreciate those. If anybody else has, has, uh, who is listening to this, because I know it's just now dropping on the uh, Podbean site. Uh, if you yes. guys have any anything that you want to say about this, then please do uh, you know, weigh in. So what we're going to do is we're going to move on to point number two, which is, where does magic come from? Okay. See, when a mommy magic and a daddy magic really love each other... Oh, I'm sorry. Never we're mind. getting to that. <laughs> That's number three. This particular podcast series really can't be considered G is going to have to be at least PG. So we're, but we're, we're not going to get, you know, too gross into things, but we, we, we are going to have to talk about some stuff. So, um, yeah. so what we're talking about is, is that, you know, this magical power, okay. Um, it's, it has, you know, the idea is that it, it has to come from somewhere. And if it does come from somewhere, then that means that it's going to, depending upon where you get it from, it's going to determine its availability. It's going to determine what it takes to access it. It's going to determine its magnitude. And yes. it's going to determine any kind of, um, let's say, uh, moral or ethical or even loyalty issues about um, getting it. Because, you know, if it, if it comes from something, then there may be some requirements for getting it. So, Oh, you mean like uh, Full Metal Alchemist and the concept of equivalent exchange? 
Okay. That that that's more that was more of a transactional part of it, but but is the fact but we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the very first uh possibility we wanted to raise up here was it comes from nature. Okay. And nature falls uh, there's a lot of things inside of nature we can refer to. It can literally come from the the biomass of the planet. You know, life itself generates life energy. And that life energy could theoretically be harvested and, and used to uh, produce magic. I do remember the comic book series Mage the Awakening by um, Kevin Wagner. And basically it was a retelling, a modern-day retelling of the Arthurian myth. Matt Wagner, not Kevin Wagner. Kevin Matchstick was the guy who was the reborn Arthur. And Mirth, the reborn version of Merlin all of his magic effects were green because he, he dealt with this biomass, this life magic and offensive spells were a little harder for him to deal, but like defensive and divination spells, it was perfect for, and they were actually a lot more powerful than if he were to fire a magic bolt to try to strike down an enemy. Uh, I definitely, I have the entire series. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, good. You know what I said. I, w- I, I was there when it came out on the on the, on the stands, man. Oh, no, <laughs> I, was I waiting, too. I was waiting months for the next one to come out, yeah. I mean, with being biomass, it sort of is a self-renewing uh, magical so- magical energy source. Right. I mean, considering the number of microbes out there, they're just generating lots of little tiny magic that you can tap and use. Okay, but it also means that if it's if it's coming from biomass, that means that you go into space, ain't no magic, or you're going to need to build yourself a big ship with a big you know, a, a big bio producing type thing, you know, to. To, to do that, you'll need colony ships in order to produce the magic that you need, maybe to produce the shields around your ship. Fungus. Oh, come on. My, microbes to create powers. What kind of dumb idea is that? Oh, wait, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's it's actually part of the uh, of the Bureau 13 game because one of the crystals in the Corellian detector detects life energy. Oh, okay. Okay. So saying that life energy is what actually powers magic is, you know, already in a sense part of the game. You know, now that maybe it doesn't come from there. All right. You know, but the point is it could come from there. If that's what you want, then that's fine. Okay. There's uh, the second possibility is ley lines, you know, which uh, and, and, and when we say ley lines, we're not talking about uh we're not. We're not trying to take a step. We're, we're taking a step away from the biomass. We're not just. We're saying that there are flows of energy around the planet. Now, this could be caused by any number of reasons. It could be caused by uh, geomagnetic forces. It could be caused by um, uh, solar, um, you know, wind interfering with. The, the atmosphere, we don't know what causes ley lines, okay? Uh, but whatever causes them, that's where the magic is. And if that's where the magic is, then getting closer to a ley line means you have more of it. And, you know, and you may, and you may have to protect that connection to your ley line, or you, uh, you may see people fighting over ley lines uh, because if, if, there, if this is a... Um, Let's say a rare resource, then yeah. you may see people fighting over them. And, and they happen to cross in downtown Manhattan at a hotel. Be careful of that hotel. <laughs> there are actually two different um, sources I get for my OGL games. One of them is official. The first one is from Scorched Earth Studios. It's simply called Ley Lines. And the way they do Ley Lines is that the Ley Lines are by magic school in OGL. So you can have a positive line, a negative, a transmutation, an abjuration, a divination. And it's funny, obviously a lot of these lines are are opposite. Now, if you get a ley line nexus and it's a positive, and, and the ley lines change over time, anywhere from weeks to years. Let's say you have a positive and an abjuration and that abjuration line changes to a negative. You have opposite lines in contact with each other. You get things like ley line storms and 
heck, you've even gotten uh, what they call Lich Fog, which I used in a now defunct campaign where basically the dead are rising from the grave due to this magically induced fog. Now, Pathfinder in their new book, Occult Adventures, it, so this is official Pathfinder rules. They've done ley lines, and the way they do it is like, yeah, they're in magnitudes of level 1 to 20. And for every four levels of magnitude, if you're on that ley line or on a nexus, you get, uh, let's see, per four levels, you get plus one caster level to your spell. So it increases duration, range, damage, all of that. And again, as I said, it's official rules now. So for Pathfinder, they have that. And I'm sure you can even adapt it if you're still doing 3.5 or whatever. But yeah, ley lines, of course, you know, rifts, they... Their whole thing with the Leyline Walker, they use that constantly, and they've got their whole system for that. Right. So Leylines, I've noticed, is a very popular system for very popular method in games for how ma- magicians and spellcasters get their power. Right. It has a, a lot of historical, um, or I should uh, maybe not historical, uh, a lot of uh, uh, literature, a lot of uh, lore. You know, uh, legends oh, yeah. and things like that. It's actually part of, um, um, and it's very closely aligned with stories about fey creatures. Yeah. Yes. Though I will, doing my research, I decided to do some research. A lot of it does come from, how, how can I put this? A lot of it may actually be 20th century or 19th century fabrication as well. One, uh, and he's a name to conjure by, Alistair Crowley. Oh yeah, he came up with a lot of things, and he was one of the folks that came who who popularized ley lines. So he may have just simply created them out of whole cloth for all you know, and and then then claimed they were they were from uh, his mystic teachings. I mean, he was good; he was notorious for doing that. But it doesn't matter because you can use them in your game, anyways. Now, well, now, yeah, yeah. Now, ley lines don't you know they they can be you know a, a also at different levels relation to the caster. I mean, some ley lines can be in the air. Some ley lines can be underground. Okay, uh, some people or have yeah. some people have the ley lines following underwater streams. So therefore, they would be underground. Now, what does this mean as far as your game is concerned? I mean, can you still tap? Um, you know, the ley line from the surface, maybe you can, maybe it's attenuated. Maybe if you get into a fight with a subterranean race, they may have the advantage because they're closer to the source. Yeah, home field advantage, yeah. Say it's a good 200 feet underground. You may have to drive a very long silver rod down into the ground to tap it, so to speak. So you can just go stand by that your little ley line lightning rods to speak and you know and do your spells that way i mean things like that i mean when i when i ran uh, my uh, i do a fate game a fate magic game and ley lines also have flow they flow in a certain direction and when the flow changes you got you want to look at that change because you know if it's if, if this one ley line is now flowing in the wrong direction someone's pulling a lot of magic out of that ley line should probably go see what's going on along the ley line and see what's happening <laughs> Right. I mean, it's possible that uh, if you wanted to, you could say that the Tower of Babel was actually, uh, they they weren't trying to build a tower to God. They were trying to build a tower, uh, or I should say to heaven, they were trying to build a tower up to a ley line. Because, and and that, that would have been far more believable in, in as far as being able to reach that height. And once they did that, then the king's great mages would be able to use that power to basically take over the world as they knew it. And, you know, people who didn't want that to happen, you know, put the smack down on them. So you can use this kind of a concept to change a lot of uh, legends and a lot of stories uh, because of, of what it is. Yeah, and for heaven's sakes, ley lines are not straight lines. They actually they, they may also tend to follow, well, um, uh, um, geographical features. Yes, I've heard that case too. Well, actually, ley line is also a geographical um, term, term also. So if you go look up ley lines in Wikipedia, the first thing page you get is a page on the geographical term ley line and not the magical ley line. So yes, so they could be one and the same. Uh, though in this case, I would say ley lines tend to follow, you know, depending on, I would say depending on the type of, type of mana or magic flowing through that line, it might, you know, 
you know, like you say, if it's if it's more air, you know, because we still got to talk about elemental. So, say it's air magic. Well, it may it'll be up in the air, following, following the the, uh, the prevailing winds, for all we know. Yeah. If it's more fire based, you may only find it circling around geothermal vents and volcanoes. Earth Earth mana definitely in the ground. Yeah. And if you're dealing with anything involving, if it's anything involving like negative energy. Graveyards and Gray stuff. And yeah. stuff like that. Positive energy would be back to the biomass. Like, oh, look at this verdant jungle or this thick forest. You're going to have a lot of positive energy there where things because just breathe. Just They're a very lot of life. Yeah. And it's possible that ley lines can merge and separate again. So, you know, if you think of more like a river of ma- of magic or mana, um, uh, yeah, that's that it's quite makes positive. Sense. All right. So. Moving on to our touchy subject, you can also get possibly magic from sexual activity. Ah, uh, yes. I've Kund- heard of those Kundalini. Kundalini is the name of it. It's a Hindu practice. It's along the lines of um, tantric sex. Yeah, that which is also Chinese, tantric sex, yes. Um, I hate to say it, the best description of tantric sex happens to be in the second book uh, of that one novel. Was that that one novel about the uh, people who, who suddenly gain superpowers? It was a it was a uh, group novel. Wild card. Yes, I think it was your first first or second. Yeah, first or second uh, novel. Really wonderful description of how tantric magic works. Uh, Fortunato, the the pimp that learned tantric magic, and when he gained the wild card virus. Yeah, he could actually do what would be considered magic, but his forehead expanded out about maybe three inches in front of the rest of his face. So he had looked like he had a really massive front lobe, and he would have sex again to basically literally recharge his batteries. Yeah, a lot of magic in that forehead bulge. Right. Uh, was, gonna, yeah, it was, and it may be the result of, of a direct application of sexual activity where the act of sex itself uh, produces the energy that is then immediately harvested as part of the spell, or it could be a kind of a byproduct of just the general, uh, again, going back to the uh, idea that some things are caused by life energy. So people, so places that have a lot of, of, of interpersonal stress in regards to sexual frustration or sexual release or, you know, People coming together and 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 engaging in in the byplay that we call you know courtship, these locations might become places where a lot of this magical energy gets deposited. So either places like massive cities like New York and L.A. and Detroit, you would have a lot of it, or the 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 places you hear like what was it on Happy Days? Oh, Inspiration Point, exactly. Lovers Leap. Inspiration yeah. Point would be a good place. Lover's Lane would be another place. Chicken, the Chicken Ranch in in Vegas, right? But it also could be some place, for example, like you know, I always used like uh, fraternities and sororities, uh, not because they necessarily have a lot of sex there with other people, but because there might be some self love going on in there due to the lot of the trying to release a lot of the frustrations of the daily life inside of a college environment. I so want to activate the instant buttons app and start playing Marvin, that one Marvin Gaye song. Just And every motel. Do our listeners a favor here. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But uh, you bring up a good point, John and Trav. And that is, is that if this is being caused, you know, by sexual activity, okay, then that means that places that there are more people are going, there's going to be more available energy to be drawn. So magic becomes therefore an, a product of the city, an urban, it becomes an urban um, artifact or, 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 or a manifestation. You go out into the countryside and you're, you know, so and, unless you're, you know, in um, uh, uh, the turn of the century, of in Australia where um, they had an overrun of rabbits, uh, you're not going to probably have too much energy available, except maybe at certain yeah. times of the year when a lot of that activity takes place. Modern day uh, you know, ranching and, or, and uh, like chicken raising, those places are just reeking with magic in that case. 
if it's just the act itself that's necessary, then yes, you're right, John. Okay, you, you, they spray the, you know, they spray spray the uh, endorphin or whatever, and bam, you know, it, it happens. But if in fact it requires more emotional type stuff going on, uh, you know, then it is going to require, you know, you, you may not have that there. But it's a good point that, that those massive. Uh, rant, you know, uh, food factories might actually be one of the a great place to find this kind of magic. Every bordello, the madam of the bordello may be a mage, and she's just tapping into all that. Uh, in a magic rich world, you know, where everybody knows about magic and everybody's doing magic, that would certainly be the case. Okay, but in of course, if it's a world where very few people are mages, that madam might not realize what kind of resource that she might actually be sitting on, and she might be surprised when all of a sudden somebody shows up one day and says, "I'd like to buy a certain uh, a certain thing that you have here that you may not realize is for sale, and I'm willing to pay you well for it." And of course, that would be a very humorous. A conversation. Well, yeah. Of course, they would immediately be talking across purposes for quite yeah, a considerable like, amount of time until finally. Would be like, oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, excuse me, sir, but why do you want to buy all the used mattresses in this place? Well, Dude. I mean, if you've seen, um, oh, a Hellraiser, yeah. some seriously negative stuff can come out of those mattresses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was some serious bad, bad mojo in those mattresses. But, Bruce, what you were saying about, let's say, people don't know about magic, mm-hmm. but, but it's available through sexual activity. Those who are into tantric yoga, such as, well, I believe the term are yogis from India and whatnot, they would be well-versed and they would probably have a whole secret magical underground. Now, let's say you got this one couple who... Gee, honey, let's try this tonight. And all of a sudden, they, you know, a lightning bolt goes shooting out their window. I think they're going to be a bit surprised. Or all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the lamp gets up and starts dancing around the room because they accidentally animated it. Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a problem. Unless they, unless they were smoking something before they started. Uh, or also, I think it depends on the intent. And therefore, he doesn't need the little pink pill. That's also nice, but th- think about it this way, okay? If, if the magic is 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 held in, uh, it doesn't just become available as a vast cloud of energy, but it in fact is held in something that needs to be released. Then those people that are saying, "Hey, we'll take your used mattresses," they might actually be part of a secret underground magic supply, you know, supply network. They run a mattress factory, and you know, they run a mattress store, and they basically, you know, hey. We'll, we'll, for a half price, we'll sell you these mattresses and take your old ones away. You know, they go up to hotels and they say, hey, we'll, you know, we'll replace all your mattresses at a 50% discount. And the people are like, well, that sounds like a great deal. Let's go ahead and do that. And they go taking it away. And then, and then they're selling those mattresses for, you know, I don't know, you know, $5,000 a pop because, you know, they've got lots of uh, magic uh, potential stored in them. We found this mattress in a Motel 8 that has been used for various purposes over the past 20 years. It is just reeking with magic. Among other things, yeah. That sounds, that sounds so unsavory. <laughs> but, of course, if it does mean it has, to, it has to be coming only from the people involved in it, then you have opportunities for a lot of really unsavory activity. Uh, anybody who's seen the, uh, um, the Overlord um, uh, uh, series uh, from Japanese uh, uh, hente knows what I'm talking about. I wouldn't know what you're talking about, Bruce. I'm innocent as a little lamb. Fine, then you have nothing to contribute, John. Uh, so, uh, but anyways, usually what happens in these kinds of cases is is that usually eventually the people get used up. So again, that can be used as an adventure, um, you know, material because no matter how much energy you produce, if you're being forced to do it, there's going to be someone who's going to want you to do it more often than is going to be healthy or sustainable for you. And that's where the evil comes in, and that's where the Bureau gets involved. But without that, it does provide some natural limitations of how much energy is being produced in your game. So 
you know, uh, and I've, I've seen this used, uh, this kind of idea used in a lot of things. For example, in one particular novel, um, they had a jump drive system where the pilot had to achieve an orgasm in order for them to go into jump space. Oh, dear God. There was a uh, Phil Foglio in, in his uh, uh, adult uh, comic book series. Okay. I'm saying this was actually something that wasn't meant to be salacious. Okay. It was just something saying this is something the, the mystical aspect of this, you know, of this personal experience of a human is able to do something that we never thought possible and isn't this great. So, yes, I'm, I'm sure that Phil Foglio covered a lot of weird things in his Xenophile series. Let's go to the better one, harvesting souls. Yeah, which is kind of like the 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 the, the counter the counter to that because harvesting souls means that you are taking you know the thing that's supposed to rise up to the next plane, the thing that's supposed to go on to its reward. You're instead taking it and you're containing it and forcing it to tra- you know to uh, to, to basically convert that. That you know, um, you know, you know uh, that that thing that is supposed to be eternal into something mundane and and uh, and and not. And so, uh, in my game, uh, it's uh, it's not uncommon for Carsis uh, to use soul yeah. energy to power their spells. And it's one of the reasons they're always considered evil is because I say this hurts the soul. The soul well, is yeah. injured by this. And it actually will take time for the soul to recover when this happens. And if it so, does, if it's not just consumed it's automatically. Not just consumed, right. Like, right. Um, and so, it, which would be the ultimate blasphemy where you take something that's eternal and turn it into something that is not. Okay, just a second, Bruce. What was this, Josie? In the whole theme of using souls to power magical. I believe things. it's I believe the process is called apotheosis. Anyways. Whatever. But there are games out there that use that concept. Um, Skyrim. You have soul gems that are used in enchanting and powering magical items. Okay. That's a very good example, Josie. Yeah. And uh, and if you want to go for a popular entertainment version, Molon Ram from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. (laughs) Well, you could say that uh, in order to make a permanent magic item, it would require a soul. You need something to sustain that magical effect that you want in that magic item forever. Um, and, and, or if you wanted an intelligent magic item, it would also require a soul. And you can use souls as a constituent, but we're here we're, we're being very specific about saying that the magical energy itself has to come from soul. There is no other magic energy. This is actually spiritual energy that's being transformed into something more, you know, uh, more mundane. Uh, if I may use that term, considering we're talking about magic, uh, but you know, something that isn't, you know what it's supposed to be, but you're extracting it out and using it for something else. Bruce, in a way, I could see this. I'm going to try to make a logical link between this. Harvesting Souls, I see, could be sort of linked to the previous entry of biomass, because we are talking biomass, the energy of the Earth and life energy, and that energy would include humans on the planet. It's Mm -hmm. just when you're harvesting the soul you're probably often doing it in a violent manner, such as like, you know, the Aztec human sacrifice where they were sacrificing beings right. to the God, human beings to the gods to appease them and try to perform ceremonies. Like, oh, we want a good harvest, kill that virgin. You know, I see how it could be linked to the biomass entry. It's just a very dark way of doing it. Right. Don't forget, though, up until a certain point in time, uh, Abrahamic practices included sacrificing a lamb. Well, right. yeah, 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 exactly. But but if you want to make a distinction between the two, you can say that biomass is, is this is a byproduct of magical energy as part of the general chemical action of life versus the you know the choir triumphant spiritual essence that is a soul. Or you can say it's the same thing. Either way, you know. It's- okay, I can see where that could differ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, 
an unsullied soul, i.e. a virgin, would produce more power than, say, a sullied soul? That's questionable. That's up to you. That's a, that's a game decision there. I would say a virgin who has a chance of not being a virgin probably is worth more than a virgin who has no chance of not being a virgin. So sorry, all you gamers out there, you're not worth, you know. Wow. A virgin has no chance of not being a virgin. (laughs) I can see your point with the whole purity thing. Um, And this is going to get really mean here. Uh, Virgins uh, are seen as that that's why they have that's why the whole thing with the unicorn is focused around yes exactly yes they're seen as pure creatures so and children right children are seen as pure because they are quote-unquote untouched by sin so to speak yeah what about animals do animals have souls that could be harvested uh, that would be GM Fiat. Also, with harvesting souls, this would have to be in a campaign where you're fighting it. Okay, well, like Supernatural, the TV series. Usually, most of the, I would imagine, most of the magic users in that series probably do some type of soul harvesting, and it would not be used as a player character for it, it would be used as. This is what the enemy is doing to, you know, create these effects. He's killing people. We need to stop him. What do we have? Guns and knives. Okay, here we go. You know. Let's do this. Yeah, I I wouldn't think that Harvesting Souls would really be a player character method of using magic. Unless you were running an all-evil campaign, which it has been done. They've got various books on how to run a campaign of evil characters. Well, it, I mean, I, I disagree, Trav. I mean, I understand your point, okay? And that is, is that if you're if you're basically taking a soul and destroying it to get the magical energy, then essentially all your mages are going to be evil. But yeah. if you if you enlarge it to say, well, no, if you take the soul of an animal and do that, then it's not quite the same because it's no worse than cut, uh, using an animal for food or something. You know, you're you're doing that. It, it, you could say that hu- human souls are the most powerful. Or, uh, you know, or the most pure or whatever. And that would be where the people who were the evil ones would cross that ethical line to go and use things like that that they shouldn't shouldn't be using when they instead could be going after the smaller resources or the less pure resources of the animal kingdom. I'm reminded now of the, I'm reminded now of the scene in Major League where Dennis Hayberg as and I forget the character's name, but he had the the voodoo-type religion. Oh, I need to sacrifice a dead chicken. Tom Berenger hands him a bucket of KFC. <laughs> right, which would not work because it wouldn't because the dead chicken's already dead. <laughs> I know, but still, just that whole scene there. <laughs> yeah. About sacrificing animals. The higher the animal, and humans are always at the top of, the, uh, of that, of that uh, pyramid, we can net you more things. I'm also uh, thinking of Larry Niven's When the Magic Went Away, where there's just a general mana field, but it can be depleted. And the one way of renewing it is people dying and their essences going back into nature. Well, But then, of course, there's necromancers who said, well, why wait? And they use it to animate zombies and so forth at that point. Well, yeah, the whole thing about the natural cycle, basically. And and killing people, people dying to replenish the magical field, that plays heavily into the whole Rifts thing and the coming of the Rifts in that game where, well, yeah, you know, when the when the nuclear weapons went off, that killed people, and when people die, their magical energy doubles and it makes the ley lines flush and those flare up and cause destruction, and it ended up being a downward spiral. That's another thing of souls used to power magic Dogs and cats living together. That's a yeah. Right. Now, now, John, you said that <laughs> humans are the top of the spiritual chain, but that may not be true because there could be magical creatures, fey creatures, uh, possibly earth spirits, things that have been around for thousands of years, 
fairies and other types of creatures that might actually be considered to be better than humans as far as their magical energy is concerned. Interesting enough, because I've when I was when I was young, I read a lot of this stuff. Also, I I read I did actually get the Golden Bow, and I did actually read a lot of the older stuff. It turns out human soul human souls are unique amongst all the various fake creatures. Human souls are always considered the most precious thing because, well, for a lot of fake creatures, they don't got souls. And humans have souls, and that's what makes humans the best thing to sacrifice, because we have something to lose. Besides our lives. Yeah, besides our lives, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where, oh, so, yeah, so you may have elves, but elves may not actually have souls. Well, assuming that they do, because, you know, we talk about, you know, and we, we talk about the, the, the theologies, they talk about the, the tree, you know, the Christmas tree is, you know, the lights in the tree are actually the, 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 uh, the nature spirits, okay, that are, you know, they're, they're immaterial and they're in the tree and, you know, in, in a nature setting, they would be glowing inside of a fir tree where you bring it inside the house, you know, to bring life inside the house in the middle of winter, and you like, you know, and now we like candles to you know, represent those lights that were in there. Well, if we're going to talk about them in that regard, then we might as well say that those are, in fact, spiritual entities that could possibly have been harvested. If you have your standard non-humans, you got your orcs, you got your hobbits, you got your dwarves, they all got souls, then who's the top of the tree? Or are they all more or less the same? You know, who's top of the pyramid? If we ran into a race of... Um, of magic using robots, uh, they might very well, you know, see all humans and and life and gen, uh, like that as just being this this place where they have to. That's that's why they're attacking us is because we're the only place they can get souls because being mechanical constructs, they may not have souls of their own. You mean they would put us in pods and and suck off our ma- magical energy and make us live in a matrix? No, they might. <laughs> It could happen. <laughs> but I was actually thinking about the ones that come in spaceships and just basically start taking over the planet. But yeah, okay. We welcome our robot overlords, yes. Yes. All right, moving on. Energy field around the planet. Oh, the force. Before 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 the mit- mitochondrians or where the force was everywhere. Okay, we're talking the same that some planets have it. And some planets don't. Okay, so therefore you could have a you know a, a, a you read stories. As a matter of fact, there is one. It's called uh, Cam, um, Camelot. Um, it's a, a series of three novels, and it's just regular like Earth. It was it was Earth based space series, and these people travel all around the galaxy, and they come to this one planet, and they've got magic here. They've got you know all kinds of things that are in our lore. As you know, you know legends and magic and stuff like that. They actually have it on this planet, and they're like, "Well, why? Why is there magic here when there isn't magic anywhere else?" Well, as it turns out, there's this special energy field around this planet, and I forget what generated it. I actually never read the story well enough to know that. But I'm saying something is generating this special magic field around this planet, and because of that, there's magic here. I mean, also familiar with the Witch World from Andrew Norton, which is sort of the same thing. The the planet that the stories are set on, magic exists, and so do dimensional rifts to other places. Also, the Darkover series. Mm-hmm. Okay, they've got some kind of a field that that people can tap into too. You know, that's and it, and when these storms happen, it gets really bad or it gets really strong. You know, a lot of wild magic that occurs as a result of it. So, yeah, you could have an energy field around a planet, which is really kind of cool because it offers an opportunity for wizard sight that's very interesting in that, that let's say all the magic was kind of in a layer around the planet. Let's say like, a, like the ionosphere. And, and, in, and a mage, in order to cast spells, would have to draw that power down. Well, you, if you had some kind of mage sight, just by looking around you'd be able to see where big magic was being used. You know, maybe it's being used over there in the power plant. 
maybe a, maybe there's little bits of ma- you know, little streamers of magic going here, there, and there at the hospital, at the temple, you know, over at you know this, and then you have this like, and all of a sudden there's this big chunk of magic coming down over in the where you know in the warehouse district down by the docks, and you're like going, wait a second, what's up with that? Yeah. I can imagine it, it looking a, a bit like the was that um, uh, at, uh, the, the sprites. If you're familiar with it's you know, around thunderstorms, where occasionally you get these little red sprites and elves and so forth. They, these are various uh, after effects of lightning strikes and so forth up in the upper atmosphere, which last for a split second. But I can imagine that being what he sees: those sort of tendrils dropping out of the sky down to where the uh, uh, magic's being pulled. So it can be like that, like a layer that they have to tap into somehow. You know, maybe only things that are in the magic layer can 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 work magic. You know, maybe you have your sky ships going around, you know, your wind whales of Ishmael, you know, or maybe they can fly because they're, they're gigantic whales, but they can still fly because they're in the magic field. Uh, or it could be pervasive all the way down to the ground, and everybody everybody has fair game in it. It's, it's so however you want to do it, but this this is you know this could be where your magic comes from. And if you do do it that way, then you have to ask yourself what can affect it, what can make it stronger in some area. Does light you know does is it more powerful in the daytime or is it more powerful on the night side? Is it affected by local thunderstorms? Is it affected? Is there, you know, is there areas that where it's getting depleted because there's a lot of mages and they're using up all the magic in the area? While out in the wilderness, there might be tons more magic, and maybe that's why all the wizards live off in the wild places in their towers because it's the only place they can get enough magic to do decent magic research. Yeah, I mean, if you want to play with, it, you can say it could, you know. The, the, this magic also follows magnetic lines of force. So you pull up a good old map of, uh, magnetic lines of force. I'm looking at one right now and you say, Oh, wherever the stuck, where these lines come down and strike the ground, that's where the magic's the strongest. So you know that magnetic north up in the Arctic Circle, there would, that would be a highly contested spot for magic users to, to do this. And they would just be fighting over it. And let's say you have the one person, you know, the the king of the hill puts a tower there. And that tower is just either magically guarded or it's constantly fought over. And often, every so often, has a new master. And every so often, it flips and goes to the south. And then whoever controls the south now gets all the magic. And then the guy up north is losing all his magic now because it flows the opposite direction. And you had you have the great journey from one end of the planet to the other. Moving on to God. Ah ah ah. Yes. Well, I mean, there's got to be a reason why vampires are sucking blood, right? Yeah. And yeah, I've seen, and I actually have read some um, uh, blood magic books where basically, yeah, you need a you need a pint to do some really big spells, and sometimes a complete exanguation is the only way to do something. Well, Thomas Covenant had an entire set. The, the second set of novels were all about people using blood magic and how it corrupted them. I think the book of Vile Darkness, the old 3.5 book, had stuff on blood magic where you're doing hit point damage to yourself, but you're able to cast a spell. And so these mages would have all these scars all over their body, and you knew that they were blood magic users. Mm-hmm. You know, why this is, you know, it's it can be a lot of reasons. You know, what one of the biblical things is says the life is in the blood. So therefore, you know, the life, you know, the, the and life energy is in the blood, and therefore you could get it from the blood, you know, transforming it from you know from life energy into magical, you you know, uh, uh more uh mundane energy. And, but vampires, being that they are essentially creatures without any life in them themselves, constantly are having to draw life from other creatures in order to remain mobile, at least. I mean, it's not actually remain alive, you know, in, in, because uh, as far as we can, uh, as far as the legends are concerned, vampires don't die if you don't give them blood. They just become weak. And well, they go insane and they just become feral. But, but a lot of times they just get they just basically can't move. They're literally stuck in you know they, they they run out of energy. They're laying in the grave. 
they're still alive, they're still there, but they can't do anything because they have no energy until somebody bleeds on them somehow. What are they going to do before they go into their, their coffins? They're always going to take a big meal just in case they need it, you know, they need to store it for later and such. And, and, and some vampires in stories actually go to sleep for hundreds of years. And of course, they take a huge feast before that happens. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Barnabas Collins, who was more or less chained underground and nearly went insane due to the hunger. You know, he was just like, uh, he hungered and there was no way for him to, you know, say his his hunger. So he almost nearly went insane. But then again, it's a curse. So, yeah, (laughs) it, it happens. Right, but this is also why Barnabas Collins wasn't able to stop himself from feeding the first time somebody released him. But after that, it was by choice. It wasn't because he had to feed. Now, of course, in your stories, you may want vampires to have to feed, you know, with, with, and, and be something that they can't control. They can only um, manage. You know, let's 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 drink before it becomes something that forces me out into a dangerous situation. And it's a variation of harvesting souls. In this case, you're harvesting the blood. So, yeah, you're slating the throat of the lamb, and you're collecting the blood to do the magic with. You know, so some, you know, so again, it falls into the quality of the creature you're you're getting the blood from. Lambs are another one of those animals that are considered pure. So that's why, yeah. Right, but it also could be a matter of volume. I mean, if you go and kill a bull, which is which was usually considered to be a much better. Uh, sacrifices according to Hebrew right. lore than a lamb, and there's a lot more blood <laughs> coming from oh, yeah. a bull. Okay, but uh, and, and, so- and of course is the legendary Aztec sacrifices to their to their god, which they said they went through a thousand people in a matter of a day or a couple of days or so. And I remember watching a uh, a documentary and said, okay, c- could you do this? So they actually. Created a simulated cadaver and figure out can can could you cut out a heart and hold up to the sky once every five minutes and the answer is yes you could with all the tools or with all the tools. <laughs> I really don't want to be around the person who conducted that study. Just that would weird me out. But yeah, they they basically used all used the obsidian blades. They were able to cut not through the chest because you ain't going to get there if you go through the chest. You go through the you go through the diaphragm, and reach up inside and yank it out. Well, that's what they say. A way to a man's heart is under you know in the stomach and up through the, the rib stomach. Cage. Yep. Those obsidian knives. No, obsidian makes some incredibly sharp cutting edges. I mean, yeah, they're fragile. You got to be careful with them, but they cut. Just incredibly well. We're talking sur- reason, surgical quality. There's a reason it's called volcanic glass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It cuts and, yeah. Yeah. And they said basically, yeah, he, he they could do it. I mean, you, you know, that meant the temple would run red. Would you know, it literally ran with a river of blood down there, and they have big old pile of hearts. The sacrifice to the god. <laughs> trying to find if there was any more current. I.e. Pathfinder rules for blood magic. I looked up, I just got uh, horror adventures as well. If you wanted to run a horror-based game in your Pathfinder campaign, nothing about blood magic. So for OGL, you'd probably have to use something out of the Book of Vile Darkness, which, I don't, you know, that book, you'd have to get at a used gaming store. And of course, they have the mature theme sticker on it. But yeah, I that's the only system i know that has any type of blood magic rules that i know of i hate i hate to say this because the system i'm actually most familiar with is <clears throat> actually in a totally different game minecraft there's a mod called blood magic and you have to bleed yourself to do it you know basically you gotta, you gotta hurt yourself by sacrificial knives and stuff like that to be able to do power items and do things so, yeah the look on Joseph's face right now is like I'll spell it D A F U Q question mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because she knows about Minecraft and she just had that look like, you know, it was the Chris Tucker rush hour quote. What the hell did you just say? You know, all right. Yeah. All right. Moving now away from nature. Cause this all fell under the same category of nature. We now move into, to something that's always a lot of fun in, in, in the games Extra-dimensional artifacts. So the things like the Codex of Infinite Planes and 
the staff of the Magi and color our space. Or it could be some like crystal out of, you know, uh, uh, just out of another dimension. It could be something that's an, uh, an item that, you know, that is from a, 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 a universe that has different physical laws. And because of that, its existence in our universe causes tension. Because it's essentially, an, it's literally an abomination against nature. And that tension causes a bleed off of energy that could actually be, which is the magical energy. I mean, I, you, you say artifacts. That also includes entities. No, that's another category, John. You look yeah, further down, you can see. Dumb. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. Okay. And we're, we're literally talking about things that. You know, now they could actually be something that is intentionally made to create energy. I mean, they, this could be essentially the power plant from another universe that comes to us and is basically producing magical energy. Okay, and that's and that's what it's for, and it, it's now doing it in our universe. We don't know how to make it. Maybe the physical laws that are necessary for its creation don't exist here, but because it exists here, we now have this power source. You know, and and there and you could have this this location on your planet where all the magic's coming from, and that's you know, and of course the people that have control of that, or maybe that maybe it, it landed, you know, it fell from the sky, and you know it broke into shards, and so now if you have a shard of this this artifact, now you have a magic source, and you know whoever has the big the most amount of these shards or the biggest shard ends up having you know the most amount of magic. I'm I'm actually thinking of uh, Isaac Asimov's novel, The Gods Themselves, where they were exchanging tungsten for an isotope of plutonium that cannot exist in our universe, and they were using it to uh, generate power. I can imagine a variation of that where we send something over that's kind of common here, and we get something back that technically can't exist in our universe, but it provides magical power. Magical energy. Right. Piers Anthony had a series called uh, Proton Phase. It was the Phase series, and one, and, and they had a world in which it was basically two different universes on the same world. On one side, it was Proton. It was called Proton. And the other side, it was called Phase. And they had a material that was like the most valuable energy source in the universe. But on the magic side, it produced magic. And so at one point, they actually had to roll a big – because of some imbalance that happened, they had to roll this big, huge ball of magical material through from one side to the other so that it would turn into this this proton, you know, this, this special proton energy source, which, of course, made anybody on that side filthy rich because it was a huge amount, even though it was, it was only the size of, let's say, a um, – Oh, uh, you know, a big play ball, you know, but it was it was it was a, a more than most people would have ever find in their entire lives. So they rolled it through to balance the the, the two universes to each other. But yeah, like that. That actually that actually was a plot point in there because it turns out getting this version of plutonium was weakening was basically a bad thing for local for the local conditions and it would actually could cause a collapse of the earth into a black hole or something like that right. like that a lot of times extra-dimensional artifacts are bad uh remember yeah. that television series that came out some years ago where they had some artifacts coming from somewhere else and as and every and, and people literally seeing them would become altered all right. Well, I'm pretty sure that you know there that it was exuding all kinds of energies of some sort, and so you know they and and that energy might very well have been accessible. Uh, it's it's used a lot as a MacGuffin in a lot of stories where this thing comes and lands and it causes all kinds of problems. In in the oh um, the the Stephen King novel uh, Sounder or something, like, they had the alien spacecraft that landed uh, and it buried itself. And as people began to undig it out, it, it caused more and more weird things to start happening in the surrounding area. Now, it was just considered an alien spacecraft, but really, considering what it was doing, you might as well consider it to be an, an extra universal item, you know, this extra dimensional artifact. 
So you can have lots of fun with these things because, you know, in addition to the good things that it's doing, as in providing magic, it can also be doing all kinds of bad things, too. And you get these great moral choices of, do we go and destroy the magic on this planet and all the chaotic disruption that'll occur? Or shall we let ourselves be dragged down into the pit of hell? Or does the universe collapse at that point because you've weakened it and you've caused a fracture point and it's not just the world it's the universe that will collapse that's a lot john yeah i mean but then again it may not take out you know you never know you, you i just said like like archimedes was archimedes you know give me a lever big enough i can move the world uh, yeah <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's already happening john this is bruce sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons license. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.